Welcome to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. Uh, my name is Chip the Block, and I'm your host. We are a group of law enforcement professionals that talk about today's news and issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. And we are live from the Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. So, uh, look, let me introduce our crew to you guys. If you don't mind waiting for the video portion of our show, uh, we have Captain Brett Bartlett. We have uh, Don Mihalik, uh, retired Secret Service. We have Colin Schmidt. I think it's your second uh, time on the show, Colin, retired FBI. So thanks, guys, for being on the show. Appreciate it. Uh, also, a shout-out to our sponsors. We have Motion DSP, GallsGunLearn.com, MyMedicare.Live, and we are fueled by Bang Energy. So I know, Brett, so everybody, the users want to know what I'm drinking. It's the Star Blast today from Bang. Uh, it's uh, it's an amazing drink. So uh, actually, I just got a a new uh, bang drop off. So for the local guys, I'm sorry, uh, Don and Colin, you're not local. It weighs too much to ship. But uh, Brett, I will hook you up. You know. So uh, hey, uh, a shout out to uh, Brian Burns with the Free Press. Thanks for carrying our content and huge shout out Ray Dietrich, Red Voice Media, great source of information. And we are currently streaming to eight locations right now. Three of those belong to Red Voice Media with about one million followers just off those three so thanks guys for the opportunity appreciate it we have a great lineup before we start brett unmute that microphone there is one news item that i did not get in the mix and uh, brett is going to mention it for us right now go ahead captain it's, it's christmas in may <laughs> kim gardner has resigned from her position as the city uh the city prosecutor for st louis she is out uh just recently she's been under fire for uh not doing her job her prosecutors haven't been showing up to the court and the reason is she doesn't have any prosecutors left. And tragically, and this is actually true, one of the final prosecutors on our team was killed in a traffic crash a few days ago. So that's horrible no matter how you look at it. She is the prosecutor that, that uh, prosecuted the McCluskeys there in St. Louis back during the summer of love when the rioters were going through their neighborhood and the McCluskeys stood out in front with their pistol and their rifle. She prosecuted them. Well, just recently, Kim got caught. Apparently, she's, I didn't know this, she's a, a, an attorney. She's a nurse and she has her funereal license and she got caught attending uh, more nursing courses on the, on the, uh, on the city dime or the county dime. So, but what does she blame it on chip? She blame it on racism and sexism because admitting that you suck at your job is just not something you admit. So good for her. Life is good. The sun came out today. Kim Gardner is gone. Wow. That's huge. That's huge news. Thank you. Thank you, Captain Brad. You made you made my my weekend early. So excellent. So, hey, uh, we have another news item and uh, it's on Police One. Now, look, it's a main topic. We have a, a tendency to go a little bit deeper to these, but there's a report. It says that Leo's shot in ambush style attacks. It has increased 10 percent over last year. So it's not great news. But in this case, look, guys, it it, um, it pays to be aware of the information. So, look, we are live to the Boss Talk Radio Network, so we are 12 to 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern time during the lunch hour. And, of course, uh, the other radio stations across the country that we're syndicated on uh, might be carrying a delayed version of the show. Either way, you're getting the information uh, firsthand from a law enforcement perspective. We want to make you guys among the most educated in the room when it comes to these kinds of topics. So we're jumping in Nashville, Tennessee right now. The uh, National Fraternal Order Police um, they have released the latest monthly report on the number of law enforcement officers who've been who've been shot in the line of duty. So notice, I didn't say killed in the line of duty, but I said shot in the line of duty as of uh, April the 30th, and including 15 killed in 2023. So the number of officers shot in separate ambush-style attacks has risen 10% compared to the same period last year in 2022. A, a, a total to date of 43 officers, that's 43, have been shot, and six have been killed in 30 
attacks. The number of attacks has also increased by five. So the uh, national FOP, they define an ambush-style attack as when an officer is hit by gunfire without any warning or an opportunity to defend themselves. So there have been a total of 135 officers have been shot in the line of duty during this period, which is an increase of 10% compared to April 2022, and an increase over the same period in the last three years of 48%. In uh, 2021, a 54% increase from 2020 as well. So 15 of those 135 were actually killed by gunfire. The number of officers killed by gunfire is down 21% when compared to April of last year. So in a state-by-state breakdown, which might interest some people, of officers shot in the line of duty, again, not killed, but shot in the line of duty, California and Pennsylvania, they are leading the nation with 11 each. Missouri follows with nine, and Florida, unfortunately, where I'm at and where Brett's at, has eight. Um, commentary on this, uh, uh, Don, you want to go first? Yeah, I don't know why nobody should be surprised by this stat. The last couple of years, all we've seen is the demonization of law enforcement and the and the support of criminalization. So, and you have this turnstile justice system in a lot of parts of the nation where criminals who are violent are not being kept in jail, they're being released out on the street, message sent that, hey, don't worry about what the police do, don't worry about getting in handcuffs because there's no repercussions for your actions. I know mine and Colin's former agencies have done a ton of research about targeted attacks, direction of interest from criminal behaviors. And it's clear that there is a subset of Americans, of criminals that want to attack cops, look for cops as, uh, as targets and follow through on it. But they're not facing repercussions these days, which is a change from what used to happen a couple of years ago, where if you shot a cop or you fought a cop, you were going to jail and you were going to stay in jail for a long period of time. That whole dynamic has shifted. We need to go back to what it used to be. Um, There's some light on the horizon, though. There's a bill in Congress called the Protect and Serve Act. It's been a bill that's been kicking around Congress for the past few years, and it would make a federal uh, death penalty eligible crime against uh, injuring or killing any police officer in the country. And it would allow the federal government, the Department of Justice, to take that case and prosecuted federally, where on a federal level, a crime like that, there's mandatory minimums and potentially death eligibility, death penalty eligibility, depending on the nature of the offense. So that bill, I think, might come out of the House of Representatives during police week, and it may actually come out of the Senate, too. So we may say that bill turned into law. But, you know, there's a lot of time between now and then. <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks uh, Don. Appreciate it. Uh, Captain Brett. You know, back uh, and I read the I read the whole uh, report that they put out, and this was back even back in 2017, and in, in an FBI report, the assailant study mindset and behavior, uh, talking about motivation. The, this motivation, it says, the report concludes is from a singular narrative that portrays the officer as guilty in traditional and social media, and the subject as the victim. And that was six years ago. It's getting worse. That same time period, and this is what's scary. of the officers uh, ambushed were not on a call or engaged in any enforcement activity. They were eating, sitting on posts, or in five cases, targeted and killed while on their way home uh, at their home. And this is just several years ago. Uh, And I think it's just getting, getting, it's going to get worse. And I think what really stands out is, uh, like Don said, uh, it's a mindset of the bad guy. In St. Louis, hundreds of cases. Hundreds of violent cases are going unprosecuted because Kim Gardner couldn't run an office. 
Now, the bad guy can read a newspaper and watch the news like I can. So they must be thinking, hey, this is great for us. We'll go out and do some more. Sad. Wow, that's just uh, enlightening, though. So, um, well, thanks, guys. Thanks. Uh, very enlightening and, uh, and good commentary. Hey, moving along. And look, we, I think we have another main topic that's going to be coming up as well. Uh, but let's uh, go ahead and, and throw the mix in. Uh, I'm going to have a – we got a couple articles here. at Cops fired, charged, acquitted, and sued on police one and the law officer.com. So the first one, there's been a settlement between the city and the union, uh, and they put a fired Miami cop back on the job. Now we know of this guy, this Miami cop. So listen to this story. Miami's most controversial cop. He's getting his badge back and he's not going to be back on the street and he's already got a retirement date. Yeah, there's a story here, all right. So about seven months after police chief Manny Morales fired Captain Javier Ortiz, who I'm no fan of, um, the embattled former union boss and longtime uh, firebrand known for racist social media posts and accusations of excessive force, he's been reinstated. Wow, you're, I know you scratched scratch your head. How in the world could that happen? Ortiz is temporarily returning to a desk job after he reached a settlement with police brass, according to an agreement obtained by the Miami Herald. So the South Florida Police Benevolent Association, on behalf of Captain Javier Ortiz and the city of Miami, they reached a resolution uh, to uh, to all pending matters regarding the employment uh, of the uh, of Captain Ortiz. So basically, all the lawsuit stuff is stopping. And um, anyhow, they believe that, they said they believe it's in the best interest of the citizens of the city of Miami and, ca- and the captain. I doubt that's true. The settlement agreement awards Ortiz several, uh, several months of back pay. It confines him to administrative job directly under Morales, uh, where he will not receive a gun or take-home car. Imagine that. Uh, he has a narrow, narrow restrictions on when he can use police powers. Uh, Ortiz is a base salary of $155,000, though, and it was bolstered by incentives uh, that run um, to run certain task forces. I can't believe they're going to let this guy run task forces. Um, he'll work the desk job during late night hours to uh, the deal signed by Ortiz and the city manager, Art Noriega, on Tuesday requires him to retire November the 7th of 2025. So he still has, what, two and a half years left? Ortiz has also agreed to stay at a police union business and no longer work off duty or overtime. to return to his rank as captain. In exchange, he's uh, agreed uh, to drop all penny litigation against the city. So, uh, so. Wow, that's that happened there. I know no great day for Miami. I know I'm shaking my head too, Colin. Uh, if there's no com- well, there is commentary on that, Captain Bartlett. I, I'd love to know what he had over the city because he sounds like a he sounds like a hot mess. I don't know why he'd get his. There must be something, maybe a procedural problem. But so he's getting paid big money. It doesn't have to work, and he's a captain. And I'm thinking, wow, I that would that could have been me. It's <laughs> that been me. You know, I was a captain. And that didn't do much of nothing. But that's, you know, guys like that, they just poison the whole profession. If, if it's all true, and I don't know that much about the guy. Chip, you know more about him than I do. But if what they said is true, he, he's, he's a poison pill. And, it, and it's very galling to me as a professional that they had to hire him back. But I would love to know why they had to hire him back. Well, well thank you, Captain. Uh, Colin, hold, hold that thought. You know, we're in the middle of this great discussion. Producer Jimmy throws the music on, letting us know we're coming up to a commercial break. I mean, you know, how rude is that? But look, uh, it's time for our first commercial break. So, guys, stick with us. We'll be right back. All right. You know, Motion DSP, they've been supporting the law enforcement profession for over 15 years with a robust suite of video and audio redaction and enhancement software. The Motion DSP software easy to use, requires no specialized training or expertise. And with Spotlight's one-click automating tracking feature and forensic suite of enhancement filters, you can achieve results quickly in just three steps. That's import, process, and export. 
Now, Spotlight is built specifically for redaction. It's designed to work with video from any camera source and usually motion DSPs, algorithms, and object tracking technology that automates the process of blurring faces and other identifiable information, saving users countless hours compared to manual frame-by-frame redaction. And forensic enhancement software that allows users to quickly analyze and process any video file format using patented super-resolution algorithms and enhancement filters to reveal an unseen level of detail. You can actually get forensically valid evidence from low-quality video in just minutes instead of hours. So you can learn more about all these products by simply going to motiondsp.com. You'll be glad that you did. All right, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show, live from the Boss Talk Radio Studios. You know, we left off talking about uh, Captain Javier Ortiz, who got his job somehow, weaseled his job back out of the uh, the clutches of Miami Police Department. Um, Colin, I think that you were getting ready to weigh in on this before we move on to our next one. Go ahead. Yeah, just real quick. Uh, obviously, the whole thing is a, a mess and it's a stain on the police institution of policing. But what one thing I always told uh, new agents, stay off of social media, because ultimately you got to understand you're not only re- reflective of yourself, but you're reflective of your, your employer, as well as the entire profession, whether it be in the FBI, Secret Service or any other uh, law enforcement agency. And just stay off of social media. You know, not bad advice. Not bad advice. Thank you. Uh, look, moving along, we have another article. Denver officer faces civil rights lawsuit from bystanders in crowd who were wounded in a shooting. Uh, now, this is probably, uh, as David would say, Brett probably ground out a molar or two on this on this story. Uh, so we're in Denver. So the Denver police officer who fired into a crowd of lower downtown bar patrons while confronting an armed man last summer, he's facing new civil rights lawsuits um, or a new civil rights lawsuit followed by four of the bystanders as he shot that he shot in the, in the injured. So this is how this goes down. The victims, uh, and it names them, they filed the lawsuit on Tuesday morning in Denver District Court, alleging that Officer Brandon Ramos, he recklessly opened fire on the armed man despite the large crowd standing in the direction of the officer's shots. Man, we talk about this all the time on the show. And from this angle, the odds that defendant Officer Ramos would shoot pedestrians were virtually certain, according to the lawsuit filed by the uh, Rathod uh, Mathemondi Law Firm. So a grand jury in January indicted Ramos on assault and reckless endangerment charges in connection with the shooting that happened July the 17th, and it injured six bystanders. Ramos was suspended from the police department without pay after he was indicted. So, wow. But they didn't fire him. Um, So, you know, we've got some other stories coming up to where civilians have taken, you know, action or done something. And they, you know, even with the amount of training that law enforcement officers get, you still have stuff like this happens. You know, you're not aware of your backdrop. And look, we all cannot be named Tony McBride and work for the LAPD, right? You know, I'm talking about sharpshooter, shooter, Tony McBride. Now she is calling an internet sensation. However, the agency wants, you know, that's a whole nother story. They want to get rid of her. And, and she's like the best thing going for LAPD. And she shot. And what was it? Six times spread. They're contesting shots five and six, but she nailed the bad guy. Six out of six shots. No one got injured in the backdrop. And she's, you know, she's just, she's just great. Uh, but go, I, I digress. But uh, Don, you want to start us off on this one? Then I think I got one more story under this heading. Yeah, unfortunately, the tactical dynamics of law enforcement are different than almost anything else because we have to be aware of the backdrop and we have around accountability that the bad guys don't have. And I would dare say if you're in combat in the middle of God knows where, you probably don't have it as much as you do in civilian domestic law enforcement. On top of that, you have the pop potential human dynamics where an officer under stress their shooting accuracy diminishes rapidly, I think down to 40%, sometimes as low as, I think NYPD's was down as low as 20% of the amount of rounds they'll hit on target. So you've got all these 
factors working against the law enforcement officer in a dynamic tactical situation where the officer is facing a deadly threat and has to do something. But if you shoot into a crowd or shoot near a crowd and you hit, you know, uh, and you hit innocent civilians that are standing by, you're going to end up getting sued. You got to be held accountable. I don't know if you need to be prosecuted for it, but you're going to end up in a you're going to end up in a civil lawsuit. And unfortunately, it's just the rules of the game. Um, I wish there was a way to change that, but I don't think that will ever change. And I think officers training is important. Accuracy is important. Using your tactical senses when you're in these situations are important and making sure you know your backdrop before you start pulling the trigger are yeah. important. Excellent. Captain, I know we got one similar story coming up in Philadelphia, but go ahead, Captain. You know, if I was uh, if I was the attorney for this bunch, I'd be ripping into those training records. I'd be hitting them hard. And I would, I'll bet you, Chip, without even knowing their training regime, I'll bet you that officer has not been trained the way he should be trained. It's just, and, and I had a chief tell me years ago, man, it's just cost of doing business. We just don't train. It's cost of doing business. We, you know, it's just rare, but it had, we'll pay out. No big deal. Um, now, if the officer is being disciplined, he might do the same thing. He may tell his attorney, hey, go rip into my training records. And, and so we can prove that I haven't received good. So it's, it could work, work both ways. But, yep. you know, another concern is, and I don't know that it's a fact here, is, is called the Me Too pop. That, <laughs> yeah. that, right? That guy's shooting, so I'm going to shoot. I don't know if that's the case here. I really don't know. But in an upcoming video, we're going to see what I think is a Me Too pop. Well, thanks. Well, guys, hold those thoughts. Let me, because uh, I, I don't want to spend too much time on, on updates, but I got one more here. Philadelphia police officer accidentally shoots a citizen. So a 62-year-old man who used his legally owned gun to kill an aggressive dog on an East Germantown street gave a responding Philadelphia police officer permission to disarm him. So as the officer's grabbing the guy's firearm from its holster, he accidentally pulls the trigger, shooting the man in the leg, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. The district attorney's office said it does not anticipate charging the officer, you know, which I agree with. Unfortunately, though, he did this, but it's officer James Edmiston. Uh, he's a 15 year veteran of the police force assigned to the 14th district. Um, so um, I know we may have uh, uh, more commentary uh, just real quickly if we do. But if there's nobody, I'll go on to the next one. But yeah, uh, Brett. Um, that's going to be a hard call for that. Also, I think what I would have done in hindsight, I would have told that guy, listen, I'm going to stand behind you. I want you to take your firearm out and lay it on the ground. That way, if it goes off, it's, it's his fault, not mine. Because, you know, if you're grabbing a gun from somebody, it's your, your hand is backward, the gun is backward. And there's no accidental. I, you know, I hate that term. It was negligent. He put he pulled the trigger, shouldn't have done it. But I think he could have handled it different. I'm glad the guy didn't die because, you know, it'd be another lawsuit against a cop. Yeah, no doubt. Don? No, and, and handling somebody's weapon that you don't know what condition it's in is always problematic. But that also goes to more training, too, because I don't think law enforcement in general trains enough about different types and styles of, of, of weapons, how they function, what they do, you know, how to disarm them, how to even identify them. And that's a training piece, you know, that needs to be part and parcel with law enforcement. I'm sure I mean, I'm sure the Bureau and I know my former agency, we did a little bit of that to identify uh, different firearms when you come across them. But across the nation, I don't know if police departments do enough of that. Thanks. 15 seconds, Colin. Uh, it comes down to trigger, trigger, trigger control and knowing where your finger is. So what was he doing? Why was he reaching in there? And did he, was he paying attention? It just, that's the bottom line. Thanks, Colin. 
You know, uh, Captain Bartlett always talks about knowing where that finger is at. So now I can appreciate what you say now, Captain. So uh, anyhow, yeah, I'm having fun with that. Hey, time for our second commercial break. We'll be right back. All right, guys, we're going to talk about galls at galls.com slash Leo. Hopefully, Captain Bartlett can help me out with this one. You know, everybody should know about galls, who they are, what they do. They are the country's leading uniform, clothing, equipment, and gear provider for law enforcement. They have a variety of offerings, everything from multi-tools and flashlights to duty belts and tactical gear. And as Captain Brett Bartlett always says, they pretty much have everything but guns and ammunition. Is that right, Captain? Yep. And today they've got 20% off Victos. It's a great brand, uh, uh, mainly shoes, but also some packs and bags. $20 off any order over 100. There's 25% off the house brands, 25% off First Tactical, which is a relatively new and up and coming um, group. All kinds of good stuff. If Gauls doesn't wow. have it, you don't need it. Yeah, there you go. If they don't have it, you don't need it. Gauls.com slash Leo, guys. And look, their uniform program is second to none. Uh, our old agency, mine and Brett's, we went through uh, two uniform companies that were just a disaster. And from what I understand, Gauls is getting it done. Gauls.com slash Leo. Let's talk about Medicare insurance options. There's over 80 options in just Hillsborough County alone. Now, the benefits can change annually. So how do you know that you're getting the benefits for your specific health care needs? The answer is simple. Contact MyMedicare.Live or call area code 813-245-6656, especially if you're in the Tampa Bay area. Talk to James or Bobby. Meet with them in person. They'll save you money on your medication co-pays. Find plans that your doctors accept and get more of the benefits that you qualify for. So again, MyMedicare.Live. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. We are live from the Boss Hog Radio Studio. So if that wraps it up for the last segment, then let's go and start off with a uh, story that's got a video component. And look for our radio and podcast listeners. We'll describe in great detail what's going on so you don't feel like you're missing out on anything. So this first story is at rumble.com, but the name of the channel is called This is Butter. I think that This is Butter is the best law enforcement video channel that there is. And again, they're located at rumble.com. So body cam shows a Hobart Lawrence officer accidentally shooting himself when he exits his patrol car. So look, I'm sorry. I'm chuckling. It's a law enforcement thing. This guy's going to get, I, 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 I want to use the term ridiculed. That's probably the wrong word, but the guys are going to be all over him and roll call for the rest of his life over this one. So listen to this, how it goes down. So it starts off with quote saying it's, it was me. I need a tourniquet. And so now we're learning that more about a situation where the Hobart Lawrence police officer's gun went off, shooting him in the leg during a police pursuit. Now, it was a vehicular pursuit, not a foot pursuit. So police released footage from Officer Samuel Schroeder's body and dash cameras from early in December. Officers were asked to check on a person's welfare. So Officer Schroeder pulls that person over after a short pursuit, and then he was hurt when his gun fired. So the video shows him falling to the ground shortly after the gun goes off. But at least we have uh, Captain Brett Bartlett on the show, who went to the training uh, by panelist you know, Dan O'Kelly, who retired from ATF, but he has gunlearn.com. So Brett is a certified firearm specialist because I don't know if you realize it yet or not, Brett, but this gun went off by itself. So we're going to be talking about that in a second. But yeah, so a closer inspection of the video shows Officer Schroeder's finger was inside the trigger guard. 
So Harbert Lawrence Police Chief Michael Rankus tells the sister station, WISN, that Officer Schroeder could not explain that, but denied uh, doing anything outside of his training. Rankus said that the gun was inspected by uh, Nelson Tactical in Green Bay, which could not find any problem with the gun, could not reproduce the gun firing without using the trigger. Chief Rankus wrote that uh, we do not have video of the moment the firearm was discharged. However, the possibility of the discharge being a result of handling the weapon is a consideration. Hmm, interesting. So the gun is a Sig Sauer. They're making notation that Sig Sauer is facing lawsuits from wounded officers in several states claiming the gun goes off by itself. Robert Lawrence police officers received new uh, staccato P, uh, P as in Paul, pistols this year. So in December, the police department told uh, told them that Officer uh, Schroeder was a seven-year veteran. The department was expected to make a full recovery. So thank God. That's that's the good news in all this. Commentary. Captain Brett. I own a Sig Sauer, and I will tell you, last time I shot it, I was at the range, and it went off when I pulled the trigger. So I believe I have a cause of action against <laughs> Sig Sauer, and, I, and I, hope, I hope I'm not disciplined for it when the gun went off when I actually pulled the trigger. A couple things. Don't try to pull your... <laughs> Gotta love producer Jimmy. Oh, is that what it is? All right. Yeah, he just he just waits for an opportunity, and you just gave it to him. You made well, his weekend. I, I'm just glad it wasn't in my head. Uh, <laughs> don't don't draw your gun while you're sitting in the car if you can avoid it. You just it's just not a good idea. Just way too many things in the way. Uh, and yeah, I think it's better once you're two feet are on the ground. I think it's time to pull the gun then. But um, you know, he just needs a little training. He doesn't need to be disciplined, I don't think. But again, he's going to have to go through some roll call crap for a couple of weeks. <laughs> you think? All right, Don. I don't know if they did that at the Secret Service or not, Don. You know, like a uh, little little uh, uh, verbal jousting during roll calls or whatever. But always, always. But all I can say is, all I've carried is SIGs for the last twenty something years. All makes and models. Never had one go off, unless I had my finger on the trigger. To Colin's point. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then uh, the I remember very vi vividly uh, being at the at the uh, firearms and somebody was messing around with a Glock. In fact, he was one of the bosses in the FBI and he turned and as a buddy of mine said, he turned his leg into a whistle because he wasn't uh, uh, having good um, finger control, so to speak. And he was trying to clean his gun right there at the uh, firearms table. So uh, it comes right down to it. Where's your finger all the time? Thanks. You know, my. Best, you know, look, cops have a tendency to be, fan, you know, gun fan, firearm fans, and, and guns don't kill people. People kill people. But my best shooting gun is my SIG P226. It's a 9 millimeter man. What a sweet shooting gun. I mean, the first trigger pull, you know, you're in double action, but, man, you are single for all, you know, all 15 shots afterwards if you got a loaded mag. And, uh, and man, it's just a just a sweet shooting gun. So don't get me wrong. I love Glocks are not the prettiest guns, but, oh, my gosh, what a great gun. And I have a Glock 26 that that I absolutely love subcompact, you know, but uh, but man, my SIG is my best shooting gun. No no doubt. Love it. Um, so if, if we've exhausted that one, I think we've got another story with a uh, with a video component. So let's see. Let's um, stay on Rumble. And the, the, this is channel. Uh, I'm sorry. This is Butters, the channel. So New Jersey neighbors from hell allegedly tried to run over police officers with their car injuring a canine now look there's a video component to this we're still going to describe in great detail what's going on but i i don't know if words can really represent what you're going to see in the video new body camera footage shows the moments of new jersey husband and wife so we have a husband and wife team described by residents as neighbors from hell they intentionally crash into multiple police cars and threatening to kill officers but they do this repeatedly don't move come out of the car come out of the car 
Come out of the car. No, stay right there. Stay right there. We're out with him. Mark, you will be shot if you see that vehicle in park and drive. Mark, don't do it, Mark. Mark, don't do it. Don't do it. Get my car. Don't do it. Stop. Mark, don't do it. Get out of the car. Oh, you're just okay right now. We need more. We need more units. We need more units. Watch out. Everyone be careful. Mark! Yeah, you're good. Bye. I mean, I'm waiting for someone to do get up close and personal as I'm watching this car zipping up and down the street and, and crashing in the, in the cars and stuff and going after people. It's crazy. So on Sunday, around 1 o'clock in the morning, officers are at the scene of a car crash in... Um, Isham, Isham Township in New Jersey when they spot a white Hyundai Genesis. Now, what is up with these uh, with these Hyundais? But this is a Genesis. So if it's an, look, I'll tell you, uh, my wife has a Genesis. So if it's an older Genesis, it was made by Hyundai. But Genesis today, it's their own thing. They're not Hyundais anymore. But anyhow, I, I digress. But it's speeding. Investigators say the vehicle is going 80 miles an hour in a 45-mile-an-hour zone. It appears to increase in speed as it passed the officers. So the officers described the car to others that were in the area. So the Genesis is then spotted at an intersection when the officer tries to do a traffic stop. The driver, who was Mark 
uh, Ferralo, uh, he's 24 years old. He fails to pull over and he runs the red light. So officers, um, they actually stop pursuing him due to the risk poised to them and to the uh, public. So um, they've got a policy against that. So the uh, municipal court judge was contacted and they get an arrest warrant for this guy for eluding and they issue it for uh, Ferralo, the uh, the driver. So officers then respond to his home and in this uh, in this uh, Evesham Township to serve the warrant and take him into custody. So when they get there, our bad guy pulls into the driveway of his home and his wife is 43-year-old Ruth Pat- Patton. So remember, he's what, like 23 and his wife's 43? Wow, 20-year difference? Wow, I'm impressed. So, he, they, so they exit the vehicle as officers pull behind it, but that's not exactly what happens in the video. Uh, but the officers tell him to step out of the car. He ignores their commands. Look, these cops did not get up and personal for the vehicles. There is so much of a gap. They didn't box him in. So then he drives forward. He quickly puts his car in reverse. He pulls it out of the driveway at a high rate of speed. He nearly hits two officers. Then he hits a police vehicle that's got a canine inside of it. Um, the uh, incident was captured on both the uh, ring surveillance video. You got to love those things. And a body cam video. So then he intentionally drives directly toward the two officers that he had nearly struck before. He continues driving across neighboring lawns. He's purposely crashing his car repeatedly into police cars uh, with the canine inside three more times before attempting to flee. And, and no one no one shoots. So as he drives away from the scene, he strikes another responding police car before he continues eastbound at a high rate of speed. Then he strikes another police car and a parked car, disabling his own vehicle in the process. I mean, this thing is wild. Um, officers approach the Genesis, break the car's window, remove him from it, and he gets medical attention, and then he's taken to the hospital for an evaluation. And during the incident, um, Patton allegedly intervened with the officer's actions and threatened to kill them. And, um, or I'm sorry, interfered with the officer's actions, threatened to kill them. So she was arrested at the scene. Several officers have non-life-threatening injuries, and in the canine had to recover at a veterinarian's office. So it's just one big mess. Uh he was charged with attempted murder of a police officer, aggravated assault, eluding criminal mischief, injuring a canine. You would think the uh, the attempted murder would be worthy of shots fired. And the female was charged with terroristic threats and obstruction of justice. So she's a, a real gem. Uh, Captain Bartlett, start us off on this. We got almost two minutes. So they uh, interviewed her at the scene and they said, do you have anything to say that will help ameliorate your circumstance and help mitigate the charges? And she said, and I quote, it's a Jersey thing. So they had to let her go. <laughs> she wore the Jersey housewives bread. Is that where you're it's going the, with this? The Jersey thing. Her name was Snooky or one of those knuckleheads. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. Two. Well, it's two. Yeah. We're going, I think Jimmy's going for three. Uh, any, any other commentary on that? If not guys, we got plenty more. So, all right, well, thank you for breaking it down and dumbing it down for us, Brett. I, I, I mean, Brett, let me, your opinion. I mean, look, I know that you can't place your, we can place ourselves there, but realistically, you can only use deadly force if another reasonable officer in that exact situation would have done the same thing. But I know they got policies. I know people are resistant, hesitant to use deadly force. But what, what is your feeling about getting up close and personal, like going up to the driver's window, maybe putting a plug through the window into the sky while he's doing all this well, mayhem stuff? I, I, as time goes on, Chip, I'm just wondering, you know, is it, a, is it a state law that they can do this? Is it a policy that would allow them to do that? And at, in that second or two, you have to weigh the danger of letting him go. He's already shown this behaviors, right? He's not going to listen, please. He's, he's moving a, a several ton vehicle around trying to hurt somebody. Um, I don't know why they didn't shoot him. But again, if they shot him in the back of their head, they're thinking, I'm not going to go to jail for this one.
Yeah. Well, if they would have boxed him in properly, yeah, if they would have boxed him in properly, never would have happened anyhow. But no, good point. Guys, West, uh, time for the West Texas. Another commercial no break. We'll be right back. You know, no matter how much you know about guns and ammunition, there's that knowledge gap that leaves you confused to missing the complete picture. Gunlearn.com. They've taken the confusion out of learning. And they've made it easy. Gunlearn.com is the first and it's the only company to offer a step-by-step program that takes you from your present knowledge level to become a safe, competent, and certified firearm specialist like, believe it or not, Captain Brett Bartlett. Yes. So they provide citations from federal law and ATF rulings for every point taught to ensure accuracy in their training. It's approved by major forensic organizations, by law enforcement agencies, and firearm manufacturers. Since 1996, they've taught everything that Leo's law enforcement officers need to know about firearms and ammunition to all facets of law enforcement. So you can start today with online training or you can register to attend a live seminar and you can actually get free training for yourself and the personnel at your agency by hosting a seminar at absolutely no cost. So come aboard as one of the most firearm knowledgeable people in the world by joining the folks at gunlearn.com. You'll be very glad that you did. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. We're live from the Boss Hog Studios in Plant City, Florida. So let's jump uh, to another main topic on Police One. National Task Force calls for improved working conditions, national training standards, in the latest review of policing. So uh, you guys might remember about this task force. I got some more information coming down about that. So we're in Chicago. A new National Task Force report on the culture of policing has renewed the call to examine the future of policing based on recommendations ranging from national standards to looking beyond police reform and towards community and government response. Now, there's some a little bit of some whacked out stuff in this. I know there's probably no shock uh, to some of us, but so the task force on 21st century policing, a renewed call to action is how it's titled. Uh, they uh, look to answer why after decades of enacted reform and protests, hasn't the policing problem been fixed? Now, I, I had to stop and think to myself, Captain, as you as I know you are right now, policing problem, is there something that I'm just not aware of? And so, so the article is heavily slanted from the get-go, right? So it goes on to say that embattled officers are wondering, and, and I'm, I'm what embattled officers are wondering, they're talking out of their butt on this one, but embattled officers, according to the article, they think they're wondering, why have government officials and, and, and society declared war on crime, ordered officers into destitute and abandoned neighborhoods to contain the violence, but then objected to the results the report is asking. As one officer put it, we're forced into paramilitary strategies to keep, to keep control and utter chaos. The community hates it, and so do we. Yeah, cops hate a paramilitary, I guess. Uh, but if there are no resources to end the chaos, then both the community and the police will keep failing, according to the article. So co-chairs Lori Robinson and Charles Ramsey of the original President's Task Force on 21st Century Policing in 2014 and other members, they met and developed eight recommendations focusing on accountability, transparency, culture, national standards, and the important role of local government in developing a, uh, a, a whole of government and a whole of community approach to transformational policing. The task force developed actions, uh, action steps for eight recommendations in the report. And here are the ones of particular interest to law enforcement officers regarding recruitment and training. So they want improving the working conditions of officers and updating the hiring, training, supervision, incentives, stuff like that. No big deal. The other one is elevate current organizational structure. Uh, I'm not going to get into that one, but here's where it starts getting interesting. Strive to achieve the goals of the 30, uh, 30 initiative. And that's where they want to have percentages of you know, of, in this case, female, they want 30% women officers in all recruit classes by 2030. doesn't matter whether they're 
they're not pushing you know qualification. They're just you know you get lower standards when you do this. All you guys know, but the current average is only twelve percent of all law enforcement officers in the United States. So they want to increase that, but that's what they want. They want this thirty thirty initiative. They want to move away from military style hierarchical command and control structure for managing routine operations. They want officers. They say they have to be trusted and empowered to make the decisions. Yada yada yada. I think you can have both. I don't know why not. They want you to reestablish the federally funded law enforcement education program, LEAP, focusing on education and leadership development at all levels of law enforcement. And then lastly, national, state, local police, uh, local police standards should include certification and decertification of officers and accreditation of agencies. And they want a national database of officers who are fired or leave service under investigation for serious misconduct, which I don't have an issue with. Uh, but Don, why don't you start us off on this? So in my former capacity as the executive director of FLIOA, we got involved with this at the current administration's request to look over the 21st century policing. We actually got sent a document that was already baked and went through the document, made multiple, multiple uh, changes, edits, um, tried to put some reality to it. Um, and, you know, uh, they nibbled around some of the some of the edits, but they never took the full uh, import of what we were saying seriously, nor did they incorporate it. You saw the administration pushed out its 21st century policing initiative a couple of years ago. The president supported it. The problem is, even in this document, you see no law enforcement stakeholders have signed on to it. No law enforcement stakeholder groups have supported it. And nobody really with any law enforcement experience, not to knock Chuck Ramsey, but current on the street law enforcement experience was really involved in the drafting of this of this document. It was basically drafted by a bunch of bureaucrats who are more political people than law enforcement people. And, you know, the whole database system is already in place. DOJ already has a, a mandate from law to create a officer misconduct database. The problem with it was making sure it was honed in on true misofficer conduct and officers fired for reasons. So one of the things the group, the law enforcement groups asked for was that those incorporated had to either be you know, officially indi you know, indicted and convicted guilty, just like regular criminals, or if they were fired or suspended for a, for a, for an ethical reason, that it was a certified termination or suspension. It wasn't something that was still being grieved, something being, you know, played, because originally the way they wrote that whole proposal, even if an officer was accused, that would go into this database. So we wanted some due process involved in the database as well, which, DOJ, to their credit, they supported having more due process. So I looked at this. It's a recycling of a political document that the administration pushed out, that they're pushing a narrative, that the police are untrained, prejudicial interactions, unprofessional, and you know, act in ways that aren't conducive to the, to the public. And in reality, the things they don't address is if you want more training, you have to fund it. And they're not funding really the more training for police departments. You and I all know there's police departments all over the country that are tiny, that don't have the resources to do training. They want to talk professionalization. Well, treat the police officers like professionals around the country. Instead, they've been called every name in a book the last couple of years. And you don't see anybody in the federal government, even on high, doing anything to counter that narrative. So there's a whole bunch of stuff here that they didn't do. And they pushed out again. It's a political agenda-driven document. And, it, and it's frustrating because... They had an opportunity to do some good, and they and they decided not to. Thanks, Don. Colin, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Real quick, Sheriff Clark said it best. We don't have a policing problem. We have a society problem. 
And then the second point is your great state of Florida, DeSantis just came out. Uh, murders or homicides are at a, at a world or at a historical low. Why? Because they support the police in uh, Florida, as well as the fact they're getting a whole lot of N NYPD guys coming down there and they're working at all these departments. So the fact of the matter is we've all, even us on this on the show, we've got to get out there and support our police because they are just getting chewed up by these gutless, cowardly politicians who are only trying to get reelected and they really don't care about the, the society as a whole. Thanks. You know, Don, I know that you got this work when it was already done. And, and, and then, then the, then the input that you tried to give after the fact, you know, was, was, you know, was not taken seriously. Uh, you know, I, I just don't know how, every time I look at, at a review, they're grabbing people from Seattle and Portland. They're putting them on these, these talking heads or these round yep. tables and, and it, and then I, I, I see nothing after hearing what you said, I see nothing different. It's just, it's just, I, it blows my mind. No, there, there, there's a political agenda here. Uh, you saw play out in the cities with these prosecutors that have been put in place in some of these cities who are pro-crime prosecutors, not pro-police prosecutors. You see it with some of the legislation that, that the, the administration was supporting initially. It's really sad because, you know, a, a, one side administration talks about they want to, you know, reduce crime and make things better. And then the other side is they're pushing policies that don't do that. And the people being impacted, as we all know on this panel and as law enforcement knows, are the people that typically need police the most. I've got a friend of mine up in uh, Massachusetts who's a, who's a retired state trooper, former uh, special forces. He created a policing program to go into communities and work with the communities based on the, uh, the, the counterinsurgency protocols. He doesn't call it that. It's called C3 policing to actually go in boots on the ground, coalesce government entities and start addressing things like crappy sidewalks, broken street signs, kids that can't walk to school without getting targeted, things like that. Whole community approach to it. He can't get any play. And his, and his strategy is, including the past DOJ and this current DOJ, and his strategy is a role model for how policing probably should move forward. So, you know, I'm sick of hearing this lip service about policing is bad, but they really don't want to really look at what policing should look like. They just want to focus on the politics of it, not problem solve. Thanks. 20 seconds, Brett. I remember uh, I'm thinking there should be a national task force on how to lower crime, on how to deal with criminals. And I remember... Gosh, 15 years ago, Chris Rock came out. He already did a study, and I think he came up with eight ways to lower the uh, your, the probability of being involved with the police. Number one was don't break the law. Excellent. Imagine that. Well, look, thanks, guys. Another great show. Thanks for to all of our panelists for uh, taking time out of your busy schedules, um, except for Brett, uh, to be here. And no, I'm I'm joking, Brett. Brett, you may be the busiest out of everybody. I know you got so many irons in the fire. But look, uh, I usually take this time to talk about uh, the Wounded Blue, the WoundedBlue.org. It's uh, Lieutenant Randy Sutton's uh, 501c3 charity that he started helping cops out in the world of hurt. You know, suffering from PTSDs or or maybe they've got medical injuries that aren't covered by the department, and maybe there's no medical retirement out where they can pension out on disability. So the Wounded Blue at the WoundedBlue.org. It's a uh, it's a great organization to support. I highly recommend it. And uh, they've got a cool store as well. Uh, look, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors. We have Motion DSP, GallsGunLearn.com, on Medicare.live, Bang Energy. Thanks so much for the fuel allowing me to talk so fast. And also Ray Dietrich, Red Voice Media. Thanks for letting us borrow about a million of your uh, Facebook followers. And look, uh, thanks for the support. All the people streaming that are talking to us. Thank you so much. Hope everybody has a wonderful and safe week. <laughs>